Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie, and this is before the box score. Welcome back, BK edition. He timed this perfectly because he had got to skip out on the Vanderbilt game, which is maybe the ugliest win we've seen in the past couple of years. And then he gets to come back for maybe the greatest Missouri win of the past three years. BK, welcome back, sir. It's great to be back. Uh, I missed a good game. I was back for a good game. Life is good. They are 2-0 since I was last with you, though, and that is also a nice feeling because, Nate, it feels weird to say, Missouri's battling for third place in the SEC East next weekend. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> Get on board the train, baby! Oh, it is so weird. I, I You know, watching South Carolina game, heading into it, I listed it off in my preview. Missouri's, you know, record against uh, ranked SEC teams on the road was 0-4 heading into this. And it's not like he's had a sterling road record in any other situation either. And yet here we are, uh, went to Columbia least and beat South Carolina by multiple scores. This is the first time that Missouri has beaten a Power 5 team by multiple scores since 2020 Kentucky. So it has been almost two years since we could say that Missouri comfortably won a game against Power Five competition, and uh, BK, I just I don't know what to do with my hands. What and and Nate, people are going to tell you, no, 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 they did it last year against Vandy. Yeah, we're we're talking real, real Power Five teams, like the 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 ones that count. Real, um, real and that real that would be teams, yeah. Kentucky. It's it, a really nice win, man. I have nothing negative to say about what we all witnessed on Saturday because Missouri, I think that's the best version of them. They, they played really well defensively. I, the one thing that I think you could say, if you want to, we'll get this out of the way really quickly. Uh, Harrison Mevis, got to make your kicks, bud, especially when they're that close. Got to get that taken care of. And it's been a weird year for him in every possible way. But other than that, Missouri played great defense. They completely shut down South Carolina's rushing attack. They basically just said, okay, can't do this. Yep, no more running for us. And that was the right decision because they were not effective. South Carolina wasn't on the ground. Missouri was 
perfectly adequate in the running game. They had a quarterback who did not turn the ball over, and that's all you need out of him. He was effective when he threw it. He was efficient. They were just, they were on time. They didn't beat themselves. And that looked like what Kentucky does to teams. Like what, what I, I, I have this in my mm-hmm. spoiler alert. I'm doing the BK's bets this week once again. And one of my bets for this week is Missouri against Kentucky. Why? Uh, because Missouri's kind of Kentucky. They are mirror. You run the ball okay. You get just enough out of your quarterback, hopefully. You try not to turn the ball over. You play excellent defense. And at the end of the day, against most college teams, that's going to be good enough to get you a victory when you play clean football. And Missouri on Saturday against South Carolina, play clean. No turnovers, only six penalties, and most of those were pre-snap. They weren't the killers where it's like a holding penalty on a huge play or a defensive pass interference on a play where uh, you had an interception, something like that. They they just played a clean game, man, and there's a lot to be said about being able to do that against peer opponents. I will will pick on the penalty thing. They were called for nine penalties. Seven were accepted for 55 yards, but that is an improvement, believe it or not, over where they usually are. Yeah, yeah, I would say it was it was a mistake-free game, which is just something that you have not seen in the previous, you know, seven games. Brady Cook would throw a bad interception. Nathaniel Pete would fumble when you couldn't in the last second, you know, the last possible time you could expect a fumble. Uh the defense would give up a big play just kind of unexpectedly and keep a team hanging around. It was you know, it was just bad luck and it was bad execution. And and that's what kept games close. And then lo and behold, when you don't throw bad interceptions, when you don't have untimely turnovers, and when you do actually pick off the opponent and force a fumble yourself, you win comfortably. And that's where we were at. I it's it seems, you know, I, I'm not trying to be reductive and 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 you know, kind of patronizing as part of this whole thing, but like it sometimes is simple as that. South Carolina did come into this game five and two. I'm not I'm not disputing that. They did come in ranked 25th probably shouldn't have been ranked, but okay, I will dispute that. Two and two in the SEC, they were just squarely in the middle, just like Missouri was. There was nothing crazy impressive about what they did. Like I said in my preview, they they were good. They're not intimidatingly good. It, they just, they had a couple of better bounces against a weaker schedule than Missouri had. And so they had five wins. Missouri went in, played their game. Like you said, that's the best version of Missouri. They didn't do anything crazy. That's just the best version of them. And South Carolina had very much a subpar version of themselves. And that was it. You get a road win. The first one in a couple of years. So I was very impressed with this team. I think that was my biggest takeaway is that it was just a good team effort. It seemed like they knew what they were doing and they executed well, not flawlessly, but well. And look, BK, it's not pretty. It might not ever be pretty, but if you look competent, and you can win just doing what you always done. I will so, take that. That's what I find interesting is I, I got a few texts over the weekend, one of which was from one of my buddies who's also a Mizzou fan. And he said, I'm really confused by this Mizzou team. Like, are, are they good? Are they bad? Are they somewhere in between? And I was like, honestly, I don't find this team to be that confusing. I think we know exactly what they are. They play really good defense. If they get a clean game out of their quarterback and he is mostly efficient, they're going to win a lot of games. And what they've had issues with is that they haven't gotten that out of their quarterback for much of the season. And this is maybe sounding like a backhanded compliment for what we saw on Saturday out of Brady Cook. But man, Brady Cook was really solid. And I I think this is where it gets misconstrued sometimes. And I know, Nate, we've had some of our listeners that have talked to us about this on Twitter. They've called us out for it. But like 
The thing that we said last year about Connor Bazelak is the same conversation with Brady Cook this year. You don't need either to be great. That's not the way this team is constructed, or at least not yet. Maybe next year or the year after when Dominic Lovett is a fully formed version of himself. And if this ain't a fully formed version, hot damn, he's going to be really good. Uh, Luther Burden is closer to a real wide receiver as opposed to right now kind of a slash player. Maybe eventually they'll be that team where you do have a quarterback that can throw for 300 yards regularly. But that's not what they need right now. Against teams like Auburn and, crazily enough, uh, Georgia, Florida, and then this week against South Carolina, if you get a 200 to 250-yard performance and there's no turnovers connected with it, Missouri probably wins all of those games. And if they did that, they're likely 7-1 on the season. And that's crazy, but it's somehow true. And I think that speaks to where college football is right now. Or it's like, you you don't have to be great to have a pretty darn good record. I watch a lot of Illinois football now because of the job that I have where I'm, I'm kind of covering Mizzou and Illinois here in St. Louis. Illinois is not a good... That's not fair. Illinois is not a great football team. Their record, though, is great. And they have an outstanding defense. And so what are they doing? They're winning a hell of a lot of games and they're probably going to end up like there's a real chance they end up in the Big Ten championship game because they play kind of the same style of football that Missouri's playing right now. So it it doesn't take a whole lot more for this team to be good when it looks at, when you look at the record. It just they need to play more like they did on Saturday against South Carolina. And I know you said it's it's reductive and th- there's some truth to that. But I mean, welcome to college football in 2022 outside of. Like six teams, most of them are kind of somewhere in that Mizzou realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I will say this: I I have given Eli Drinkwitz a lot of a lot of grief for his style of calling plays, for the schemes that he has deserved. And I think it is deserved. At the same time, it is very much an underdog strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, go back twenty years, and the underdog strategy was what Missouri did, right? Spread out your offensive line, spread out your receivers, go warp tempo, go fast, 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 fast. Take all those big, beefy linebackers and put them out wide and make them run for a little bit, soften them up, and that's that's how you had underdog football when you had an elite recruiting team that you were going up against. Now it's the opposite. The blue bloods run very quickly. They have a lot of skill position players. They can fling it all over the field. So the way to play the underdog style is to slow it down, keep it to 10 or 11 possessions per game, maybe somewhere between 55 and 65 plays per game. Limit the amount of times that the really good offenses on the field that can put up points. And then, yeah, let's see what happens, right? This is what we call it. The slop it up style, the muck it up style. It's what army does. It's what Navy does. And it has worked before. It's not. Iowa you know, has used this strategy for two decades. <laughs> yes. This is all Iowa does. Now it keeps games really close. Both. If your opponent is better than you. And if your opponent is worse than you. And when you do that, it, the, the margins of win or loss are so incredibly narrow that if you have an ill-timed fumble, a poor decision that turns into an interception, a blown assignment, a kick return for a touchdown, if you have that, you have nullified you know the slight, the slight advantage that you have, and you're putting yourself in a position where you really don't have much of a chance to win. Like you said, Iowa's very familiar with this. But when you are Missouri, when you are building, when you have a third year quarterback, uh, an offensive line that is struggling, some skill position players that are banged up and a defense that is dynamite. Yeah, this is how you do it. 
And as much as I gave him crap because I wanted to see these these stallions run, I let's let it go. This is this is just what it is. It might, I'm not saying it's going to be forever, but when you have the personnel that you have, maybe this is just the best way to play it. And it didn't work for three straight games, and we were pulling our hair out. But it worked against Vanderbilt, even if it was ugly, and it worked against South Carolina. So this is this is what it is. 60 minutes of mud fighting. Hope you get a couple good breaks and and let it lie. And so here we are. And like I said, it's not pretty, but it's uh, this is how it's going to work this year. So that's the macro. Now let's start getting a little more micro. The defense you mentioned is dynamite, and they are, God, they are good, man. And it is getting better as the season goes along. In this game against South Carolina, uh, they finished the game with four sacks, three quarterback hits, 11 tackles for loss, four pass breakups, two forced fumbles, and an interception. Like they, The havoc rate was on just a... 42.4%. I mean, that's absurd. how does that rate compare to their their season average? I, I would imagine against Auburn, it was really high because they had a great game there. But is otherwise this their best game of the season? So their best was technically Vanderbilt because that was a 44 percent. OK, uh, games before that, though, you were looking at like 28, 29, even against Abilene Christian, they were at 19 percent, which was part of the problem. Um, so the, well, Kansas state was six, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, but no, this is, this is it. They had a uh, 43% against Louisiana tech in the first game of the year. They had 44% against Vanderbilt last week. They had 42.4% against South Carolina. They're all wins, baby. Those are all wins. And that's, that's just how you do it. And that's what this defense is. Like when Blake Baker was hired, he was talking about how he wants the havoc rate. That that is what his defense is based upon. And you go back to his time at Miami when those defenses were playing well. That's what they did. They pressured the quarterback. They produced a bunch of pass breakups and they were turning the football over. Now, it's a hard way to live. Like Mm -hmm. it it is the margins on that can be really narrow. And if you're not getting the pressure on the quarterback, then you don't pressure them into bad decisions. And now you just look like a blah defense and you're potentially giving up big plays over the top. So it can go both ways, but this is my personal preference for the style of defense that I like to watch. And man, when it looks good, wow, it makes the opposing team look (laughs) terrible in South Carolina with that quarterback. Spencer Rattler is not good. We now know that uh, they they looked like they had no idea what they were doing against this team. So. Uh, Credit to this defense. It's what they have now been doing in basically every conference game. I looked this up earlier today. Mizzou's defense in the SEC against conference opponents right now. If you look at their rankings compared to the other 14 teams or 13 teams, I guess, in this conference, they're second in points per game allowed at 18. They are third in yards per play allowed at 4.7. Only Georgia and Alabama have been better than them defensively in conference play. They have the third fewest plays of 20 or more yards allowed so far. They are first now in conference play and tackles for loss, and they are third tied in the SEC in sacks in conference play. They're a legit top three defense so far this year in conference play. Georgia and Alabama are the only two that have been better. So credit <laughs> to this unit, man. This is one hell of a turnaround, given what we were saying about the same group one year ago. Yeah. And you can you can thank the transfers. You can thank mm-hmm. Christian Williams. You can thank Tyron Hopper. You think Drayden Norwood, who had the game ceiling interception. There are a lot of guys you can point to, but I'm going to point to a guy who's been here for a while. Isaiah McGuire 
had a hell of a game yesterday. They had a hell of a game yesterday. I don't, I mean, he's been good. The pressures are there. The problem is that he hasn't been connecting. Uh, that And that's really true for, frankly, the entire defensive line. But, oh, my God. Like, the sacks that he had, the way that he beat his man off the line, it wasn't just, you know, I'm more talented. It was, there was talent, there was rush, there was effort, and there was skill. And I don't know, man. I, I you know, he and Trajan Jeffco were looked to, to kind of, to, you know, stymie this defensive line um, as, as the, as the transfers came in and kind of be that, that ex- voice of experience in the room and all that stuff. And Trajan Jeffco has been, you know, good. He's been a rotational piece, but man, this was Isaiah McGuire's kind of like national coming out party. And uh, I, I was just so impressed with what he did on Saturday. I, it was awesome. Isaiah McGuire is exactly what this defense has been looking for. And what I mean by that is I, I talked about this a little bit in a recruiting reset piece that I just did because, oh, we're later this week. We get to talk about a new commit that the Tigers have. That's um, right. That's right. Missouri needed edge rushers that did more than just rush the passer. They needed edge rushers that are also very good against the run. And last year they had a couple of them, but then you got to like the two deep And it was just a desperate affair. They had nobody else behind them. It was McGuire, Jeff Code, and then, oh boy, please don't make us put our backups in the game. (laughs) And this year you don't have that issue because, hey man, I'm going to give credit to a guy that we've been hard on this year. DJ Coleman is a bit of an ass kicker in the running game. Mm -hmm. Now, he's not a great pass rusher, but he's fine in that area. And he's really good at holding holding the edge. So they now have developed some depth. And Tyrone Hopper, I will give him credit as well. He does basically nothing (laughs) as a pass rusher. But against the run, he's okay. And when you have those guys in there that are able to do both, they're able to hold up against both the run and the pass, it completely changes what you're able to do with your linebacker. So Tyrone Hopper is now able to just run all over the field and be the crazy win-at-all-levels linebacker that we know that he is. And I think that's something that they were desperately missing a year ago. And Isaiah McGuire brings that in spades. And so now when you look at some of the, just to push it forward a little bit, when you look at their recruiting, they have two defensive ends in next year's class that are almost identical to the prospect that Isaiah McGuire was when he was coming out of high school. They're big. They can play kind of on the edge or on the interior in a pass rushing situation. And that's what Isaiah McGuire really kind of excels with is, when it's a third down obvious pass rushing situation, he's the guy that gets kicked inside a lot of the time. And he wins from the interior because he's a big dude that is really strong. He's not a bendy edge rusher like a Von Miller or anything like that, but he wins. So uh, credit to him, credit to this defensive line in general. Their ability to create plays behind the line of scrimmage has been, I would say, probably number one uh, in terms of what's changed for this defense compared to last year. For sure. For sure. Four and a half tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks was what Isaiah did. Yeah. It was awesome. But, I mean, Christian Williams, three and a half tackles, two tackles for loss and a sack. Uh, DJ Coleman, like you talked about, three tackles, two tackles for loss and a sack. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, yeah, Tyrone Tyrone Hopper, the elder statesman, the doctor. Uh, three tackles, two tackles for loss. It's probably his best game. Easily, easily. Yeah, uh, it, it was just it was great. And you know, Jernigan got some pressure. Even Ralph George got some pressure up there. D- Darius Robinson's clearly the leader. He does not really. He does not make numbers happen. He makes numbers happen for other people. Yeah. Uh, but it was just it was just a dominating performance. And even Spencer Rattler said it in his press conference. He's like, we did not have an answer. Mm-hmm. We spent all week getting ready for it. And I think he said something along the lines, it's it's tough to practice until you actually see it, you know, the usual lip service. But like at the end, he said, We had no idea what to do. <laughs> and it looked like it, because my God, how many, how many completed passes got blown up behind the line? I can yep. think of three off the top of my head. Like that's that's just bad. That's bad scheme. That's bad scheme. So it was it was very impressive. There's a lot of uh, penalties for the defense, uh, mostly penalties of aggression, which for the most part you're going to take, if, as long as it doesn't kill you know, kill your opportunity to stop a drive. But they're they're just dominating. You know, if you want to go into uh, success rates by quarter, you know I love this BK. South Carolina in the first quarter, 37% success rate. South Carolina in the second quarter, 53% success rate. South Carolina in the third quarter, 24% success rate. Quarter four was 40%. By the way, eight plays in the first quarter, 10 plays in the fourth. Just throwing that out there. So it was it was a dominating performance. South Carolina ended up with a 44% success rate rushing the ball. By the way, thank God Marshawn Lloyd was banged up because that dude was finding holes and making space happen. They got away from the run when literally they had no one else behind him. Uh, and so they had to go to the pass. And when they dropped back to pass, they had a 31% success rate. Gee. Whoops. Whoopsie-woo-doo. Whoopsie-doo. So, yeah, it was not great for South Carolina's offense, both because they're not very good and also because this defense is very good. On the flip side, Missouri's offense is not something that you would say would be dominating. Uh, if you take, I haven't done the success rates on them yet, but I can tell you right now, it was probably going to end up in the 40s, somewhere around there. Their success rate by quarter, 48% in quarter one, 53 in quarter two, 37 in quarter three. Close it out with a 67% in the fourth quarter, baby. And most go. of that was powered by two dudes. Same two dudes we've been seeing the past couple of weeks. Cody Schrader, Dom Lovett. Dom Lovett was on the field for like 20 snaps. Still finished with over 100, almost 150 yards receiving. Cody Schrader had 10 consecutive runs to close out the game. All of them successful. Uh, BK, I don't know. Which one was the most key? Uh, or is it just both of them and then we're just glad to have them? Yeah, it was both. I, th- I think it's a lot of different things, though. I This has kind of been a mea culpa type of a, a show for us where we're giving credit to guys that we don't typically give credit to, um, especially for things that we don't give them credit for. Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah. Stand Round up, of applause, my friend. Um, he he figured it out. He put the horse in the game. And really, that's, <laughs> that's all they needed. That was the secret sauce. <laughs> it's very clear. All this team needed was to put Ryan Horsecamp in the game. I didn't see what his final snap count was. I bet you it was like 10. Um, but 
it, it was nice to see. It wasn't just Ryan Horskamp, of course, but they put EJ Doma Ogar at right guard. Didn't really yes. notice him, which yes. is a positive. Um, so he got opportunities. Ryan Horskamp got opportunities. Uh, Cody Schrader became the clear-cut number one back. They also gave Elijah Young some more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then I thought it was really interesting. Um, there were two other... I think that a lot of people are honing in on one of these two, but there were two other wrinkles to the offense uh, that I thought were noteworthy. One is the one that was obvious, and that was Luther Burden lining up in the backfield a decent amount of the time. I liked that. I don't think Luther Burden right now is an established wide receiver. I don't think his route tree is where he or they want it to be. And I think he'll get there, but it takes time. The other one that I think is kind of going under the radar, and he didn't have a huge role, but it was on significant snaps. How about Taj Butts becoming yeah. essentially a fullback mm -hmm. in this game? I think they found a way to be able to utilize him because this team doesn't well, let's be honest, even with my love for Ryan Horse Camp, this team doesn't really have tight ends that hurt you in the running game. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? H how do you minimize that weakness and create a strength out of it? Well, you change the numbers. Instead of putting a tight end on the field, put a running back on the field and essentially use him in the exact same way. Doesn't change anything for your offense, but it could change the way that the defense approaches your offense. So they go with a two-back backfield. They potentially take off that tight end and it allows them to open some things up in the running game and frankly Tosh Butts was good as a lead blocker from what I saw in the game so credit to Drinkwitz he made some intriguing changes to the offense and I do think they led to pretty obvious and clear results on the field yeah the other wrinkle that I've been loving this is not one that happened in South Carolina but it's the past couple weeks is Armand Mimbu coming in as a sixth lineman uh he's got yes. I think 70-ish, 70-ish snaps at this point. He's not a starter. He's only coming in in specific situations. But, man, I love what he can do. And I, the fact that he and EJ and Doma Ogar were on the field made me so happy to see. I'm not saying that, like, all of our problems are based around, you know, Mitchell Walters or Zeke Powell or, you know, where Connor Wood lines up. I think that it's a little bit more deep than that. But you know I love me some youth. And I know I love my offensive line combinations and knowing that those guys can come in. And even if just, if it's spots, if it's spots, that's fine. But you don't notice them. You don't see them getting blown up on blocks. And you see that, you know, Cody Schrader kind of leaning that way or trying to make a read. And I'm just, I don't know. We, we've, we've, we've ridiculed this staff for being so rigid and not changing anything in the past couple of weeks, you know, even with a bowl game on the line, they are willing to get, a little freaky. Get, see what happens. Not crazy. Not a crazy youth movement or anything like that. But changing up rotations, seeing what it looks like in real situations, and yeah, hat tip for the scheme, and then hat tip for just throwing stuff and seeing what happens and giving them a shot. Because I think really that's what a lot of these young guys need, just a shot in a game to show what they can do. And you mentioned uh, Lovett and Schrader as being the guys that you got to give credit for. I, I also... I like that Eli Drinkwitz says by midseason, basically, okay, these are, these are my good players. <laughs> We're just going to get them the <laughs> yeah. football as often as possible. And I know it was frustrating at times because, like, you look back to last year and Tyler Beatty was just getting all of the snaps. But then you look at it and you're like, yeah, but Tyler Beatty's really good. And so if you're going to want to try to win games, you should be giving Tyler Beatty all of the snaps because he's awesome. He's clearly your best chance to win. 
This year, it's kind of become that. What is our best chance to win? Well, you put the ball in Cody Schrader's hands as the running back. You try to throw the ball to Dominic Lovett as much as possible. You find interesting ways to get the ball to Luther Burden, even if you're not technically using him as like your traditional wide receiver. You just get him the ball with space in front of him and see if he can make something happen. And then you try to limit the damage that Brady Cook does and you try to use his legs to his advantage. Well, look at the numbers from this game. Dominic Lovett had 10 receptions on 10 targets. The rest of your pass catchers had seven receptions on 15 targets in the game. Cody Schrader finished with 22 carries on the ground. Your other non-Brady Cook players had six carries on the ground. Brady Cook finished the game with 26 passing attempts and 11 rushing attempts. I know there's some sacks probably that are thrown in there, but... No, zero sacks. He, zero he sacks? Ran, okay. He ran backwards one time that was counted as a sack. I don't count that. Perfect. That's what you want to see. That That's what you want to see by Brady Cook, by Dom Lovett, by Cody Schrader. Th those are your guys. And I like that Eli Drinkwitz seems to have found the formula on what this offense should and hopefully will look like down the stretch. Yeah. And it's not crazy. Blaine Kiffin does this all the time. He did it at USC, both when he was a coordinator and when he was the head coach. He did it at Alabama. He's doing it at Ole Miss. Breaking news, finding your playmakers and getting them the ball is not some secret sauce. It's not some crazy tactic. It's just recognizing what's going to work and and doing that until people stop it. Like you said, last year, Tyler Beatty got like 40 carries a game. Well, that's because no one was stopping him. So... This is kind of what he does. And whether you agree with it or not, he, you know, Drink did this at NC State. He did it a little bit at App State when he was there. It's just he finds his playmakers and he gets them the ball. And and I think as we as fans don't always agree with who that playmaker is. And, and you know, it's fine. We all have our opinions, but he sees them in practice and he's the one that's calling plays. So, like, he gets to choose who the playmakers are. Again, it's kind of reductive. It seems very simplistic, but if it works, it works and he looks like a genius. And, you know, we skewer him when it doesn't because it seems very you know, overly simplistic and, and Cro-Magnon. So it's just, it's just the same, you know, it's the same coin, just two different sides. So I, if, if Dominic Lovett and Cody Schrader are your playmakers and they're going to get 33 touches over 65 plays, so be it. If they can do it and they can produce, then do it. That's fine by me. You hope they don't get injured, but let's do it. And so I'm very glad that they're on our team. It is very clear that Cody Schrader is the number one running back. Drinkwood said it during his uh, midweek presser that Cody was going to be the guy going forward. I don't know what that means for Nate Pete. I hope he recovers. I know he's had a bit of the uh, the East-West syndrome and a couple of untimely fumbles. Like I hope he get back, man. I love the, the athleticism that he showed and the playmaking ability that he's got. But, you know, we're in crunch time. If you're trying to get the six wins in a bowl, you got to put the best guys out there who are going to be that be that for you, get you there. Drinkwitz has identified his guys, so here we are. Um, and sometimes it's as simple as that. So very glad they're both on the team. Brady Cook had a great game. Not a lot of mistakes. He got away with one that ended up being yeah. pass interference, which, okay, there's your free one. He did not really make any poor choices in the passing game after that, which is huge. I don't know, BK. It seems so weird to have a comfortable win against a Power 5 opponent, an SEC opponent, an opponent on the road. I'm not used to, to feeling this way. How much does this change your outlook for the rest of the season, though? It's kind of twofold. Um, did that game change the way that I feel about Mizzou? No. Like I, 
you said this after the Georgia and Auburn games, I think it was. You asked me, like, hey, if they had won those games, does it change the way that you feel about them? And I said, probably. And you said, well, it probably shouldn't because they're still the same team. Regardless, it's about the process, not necessarily the results, right? The process has been the same all year. This is the same team that we've watched outside of, like, I think there's one outlier game in K-State. That That's the game that everything went to crap and there was just no coming back from it and it, it was just bad from start to finish there was nothing good to take from any of it but otherwise they've kind of been the same team all year where it's basically just as simple as did brady cook throw terrible interceptions that's their first check mark if the answer is yes well then it probably didn't end well if the answer is no then we have a secondary part of this where you say the during this flow chart like did Nate Pete have a horribly crippling fumble? If the answer is yes, again, you probably lost that game. If the answer is no, then you probably won because that's where you get into Louisiana Tech, Abilene Christian, Vandy, and South Carolina. So to answer your question directly, like, did my thought process change on what the next four weeks looks like for the team? No. New Mexico State has to be a win. And we've thought all along the other two, maybe not 50-50, but potentially flip games for Mizzou on the schedule are Kentucky and Arkansas. Tennessee's mm-hmm. really good. I just honestly, Mizzou fans don't watch that game because it'll it'll alter your opinion on this team in a way that it probably shouldn't because Tennessee's a legit top five team in the country. Yep. I, in my opinion, they're, they're a tougher matchup specifically for Mizzou, like styles make fights. They're a tougher matchup for Mizzou the way that Missouri plays than Georgia was. Um, I'll just throw that out there. But Kentucky and Arkansas have always been games that Missouri at least would have an opportunity to win. And my opinion on those games has changed more because of the way that those teams have played than it has because of the way that Missouri has played. Sure. Does that make sense? Like Kentucky, I just I just don't know how good Kentucky is, honestly. And I, I think you look at Arkansas and they're they're solid. I mean, they they just beat Auburn in a way that you weren't able to find a way. They've got a really, really good quarterback and a superstar at running back. But their defense ain't what it was last year, man. And I think Missouri's going to be able to score on them better than I expected them to. So it's going to be more of a strength on strength, weakness on weakness in that game. So I'm, I, I think Kentucky's the game that I give them more of a chance to win than Arkansas is. But yeah, so I, I guess it's changed, but more because of the opponent than, than this team. Yeah. So... For what it's worth, SB Plus is very much, I think, in our camp. And this is why I always say, like, it doesn't, the process doesn't really change. Like, the wins and losses are emotional, yes, and obviously tangible, yes. But the quality of how you play doesn't really change much overall. And to to my point, so before this game, before we got the play the South Carolina game, Missouri had, according to SB Plus, this is Bill C's math, okay, According to Bill C, they had a 32% chance against Kentucky, a 13% against uh, Tennessee, 96% against New Mexico State, and 47% against Arkansas. I'm just going to tell you, it hasn't changed much. The biggest one was Kentucky just because they kind of laid an egg and Missouri won. So that win probability went from 32 to 40. Okay, cool. Well, Tennessee went from 13 to 12. New Mexico State still at 96%, and Arkansas went from 47 to 45. Like, not a whole difference. And part of that, and keep this in mind, I'm not trying to crap on this parade because I know that's what I do, but this is, or sorry, South Carolina was the worst run defense Missouri is going to see until New Mexico State. 
the South Carolina was like the 120s in all of their run defense categories because they play back. They don't give up big plays. They'll give you the intermediate stuff and they'll try and stiffen up in the red zone. So yes, Missouri is going to have a lot of opportunities to have successful plays on the ground. That is by South Carolina's design. They lost. Okay, cool. Not a lot of other teams play that way other than New Mexico state. Uh, so like it could, we could go right back next week and have the same conversation we had five weeks ago. Like, Wow, this offensive line is overmatched. Wow, Cody Schrader is not the guy. Wow, Brady Cook threw a batter. Like, we can be right back there in no time. But it worked this week. You've got some momentum. You're feeling good. We saw some creativity. Some younger guys got some experience. Like, it's not a lot, but it's better than it was. So for me, I'm with you. Win Kentucky or Arkansas, beat New Mexico State. That's it. That gets you to a bowl. Either, you know, three of two of those three, you can do it. 40 and 45% chances of winning is that's manageable. Uh, but you got to play the games and Here, we'll, we'll see where that ends up. As a follow up on that, Missouri went six and six last year. What was their SP plus? Do you remember where they, where they finished in SP plus last year? Sorry for putting you on the spot. They're what in the mid forties right now? Uh, let me see the most updated. Right now, they are 47th. They're a better team this year. They're improving. That's opinion. the crazy... I told you guys, they could improve, and the win record wouldn't show it, but yes, they are a better team this year. And you, you like you, I, I think you can see it just based on the results as well. Like Their losses last year, 35-28, 41-34 in overtime. That was against Boston College, of course. They got demolished by Tennessee. I think that game could look pretty similar, actually, this year. Mm-hmm. Um. 35 14 so you lose by three scores 43 to 6 and then 34 to 17 the losses are getting closer you're having more games this year that were like the boston college and kentucky games last year and while that adds to the oh my god this is infuriating level (laughs) of emotion towards the season it's also kind of a good thing like it's good when you lose close that's that is the first step then you hope you start winning close and then you hope you start winning big. And when that starts to turn for you, that's when the program starts to turn. But they needed to get more of these games into the level of you feel pretty competitive in just about every game that you play. And this year so far, the only game that they have not been competitive in is the K-State game. And I would add that the likelihood is you're probably not going to be competitive on the road at Tennessee either. But every other game, that's 10 out of the 12, should finish the season feeling like you were competitive within that respective game. That's progress. That's what tangible progress is and what it should look like. Mm-hmm. I agree. And oh, by the way, Tennessee plays Georgia this week. And then they turn around and play Missouri. So if that does anything for you, write that down. Can I ask um, you one more follow-up question, Nate? Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about this with, uh, with Dom Lovett. Mm-hmm. where's his season right now like with, with the way that it's tracking where he's on pace for just about a thousand receiving yards mm-hmm. where does it rank for you among like the pantheon of the the great mizzou wide receiver seasons of like the last 15 years is it up there is last it starting 15. to get up there um it's like j max up there denario yeah. but like everything he did was so just on a different level, man, I don't want to have this become an insult, 
and I, I don't think anyone's going to take it that way, but just in case, I don't mean this as an insult, but can I say Jonathan Johnson? Oh, wow. Be- because Jonathan Johnson had some drop problems, but he was a reliable weapon that I think he finished with over a thousand yards in his senior season. Um, was kind of a go-to guy. People kind of fell asleep on him, and he would bust a big play and, and you know go for like fifty-eight yards. His like, best year was seven thirty. Seven thirty. Yeah. Wait, no, he had more than that. Oh no, yeah. that must have been that must have been the. Uh, he's like tenth in all-time yardage, right? Something like that. Yeah, I think so because he was just kind of consistent. Like he was yeah. like between four and seven hundred all four years. Okay, um, let me pick someone. To, how about T.J. Mo? T.J. Mo was a guy who was very reliable, and I, I, I would say, say like Sasser. Ooh, this I love feels Bud kind Sasser. of like Bud Sasser's 2014 season, where it's just like he's super consistent and he's kind of the only guy. Yeah, man, that Bud Sasser 20. Man, Jimmy Hunt got hurt like halfway through mm-hmm. there. That could have been so much better. But I love Bud Sasser. It, it kind of reminds me of that year. Yeah, I'm good with that. But like, would how do you compare this to Emmanuel Hall? Ooh. Hall, they're different, but Emmanuel Hall was in an offense that clearly played to his strengths where it was just, hey, we're going to chuck the ball up in the air 25 yards down the field regularly, and hopefully you come down with like 60% of them. So, you know I love the Drew Locke to Emmanuel Hall. Like, that was great. But as a number one combo, that's not really what you want. You want yeah, someone who can agreed. do a little bit of everything. And Hall really wasn't that. It was like 60-yard touchdown or drop over five-yard five slant. Um, I would go love it just because he's more reliable, and he does more things. Like, how many times are you getting those uh, push passes out of the backfield that keep getting chalked up as runs when they're actually passes? Mm-hmm. Um, and he just he whips around the corner and gets you eight, nine. It looks like he's going to get balled up. Nope, nope, he's converting the first down. Like, he can go deep. He can do that in the backfield. He's very reliable in kind of the intermediate game. He had that awesome catch along the sideline when, by the way, Towski Dove was wide open, but he got a touchdown, so it didn't matter. Uh, but he caught it over the shoulder with a, with a player right on his heels. Like, he has a lot of versatility. And I know he's nominally a slot receiver, but, man, like, he, he can do a lot. And I think the fact that he is your – he seems to be, I should say – uh, Brady Cook's first read tells you a lot about how good he is and how much stuff he can do. And yeah, I would say I would take him over Emmanuel Hall, even though I love Hall with with everything in my heart. Yeah, I think if you're going like all around Mizzou wide receiver seasons, I I think it's for me probably the most impressive since Sasser in 2014. Um, just because like what did Jamon Moore finished? He had a couple thousand yard years. He right? did. He was right around a thousand yards. But the, what you just mentioned about kind of one trick pony ish. He was more in the inner intermediate routes than Hall was like just for context. Hall was at a 25 and 22 yards per catch average, <laughs> which is just absurd. Yes. Um, Jamon was around 16. And that's hmm. kind of more of like you have the big play threat, but also you're you're having those slants as well. Oh, and yeah. those were kind of what he was known for. But also the drops were mm-hmm. part of the issue as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think. Somewhere between Jamon and Sasser is probably where you'd have Dominic Lovett. But man, if he was healthy, I think we could be watching one of those like r- truly spectacular Mizzou wide receiver seasons. And those don't come around very often. 
every eight years, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, I I don't know. I'm still I'm still thinking about this now because now I'm like racking my brain. You know, I'm thinking like a you know what did Jared Perry do back in 2006? And I know you you gave no. the 15 year window, so I'm I'm kind of going way way past out that. Yeah, I mean you could go back to like Justin Gage in mm-hmm. in 2002 when it wasn't as throw it all over the yard and he was putting up a thousand yard wide receiver season. Mm-hmm. You know, um, J Mac, you had Saunders with with a good year in there. Um, LaDamian Washington had a spectacular season in 13. Um, I mean, there's, there's some really good ones, you know, there's some really, really good ones. So the top 10 single season receiving yards, number 10 is Chase Coffin with 987, Bud Sasser, 1003, Javon Moore, 1012, TJ Moe, 1045, Jeremy Macklin in 07, 1055, Justin Gage, 1075 in 2002. Jamon Moore, 1,082 and 17. Victor Bailey, 12. Wow, Victor Bailey in 1992, 1,210 yards in freaking 1992. Uh, Jeremy Macklin in 08 was 1,260. And, of course, Super Denario Alexander, 1,781 yards in 2009. I was putting together some numbers for my recap piece. I, I was looking at the players over the last 15 years to have uh, games of 10 or more receive, receiving or receptions rather mm-hmm. and at least 148 receiving yards because that's what um, we saw in this game from Dominic Lovett. Mm-hmm. Jamon did it in 2017. Dominic Lovett did it or did it on Saturday. Wow. Denario Alexander did it four times <laughs> in 2009. <laughs> Just like, in the last 15 years, there's two guys that have done it once oh each. God. And then Denario doubled that up in one season. I think three of them were like back-to-back-to-back games. It's just ridiculous. So now I'm having fun. Do you know what the single-game receiving yards record for Missouri is off the top of your head? It's got to be Denario, right? It is not. No. Oh, really? It was done twice with the same yardage number by the same guy in two different years. Is it J-Mac? It's not. You got to go before then. Justin Gage... Okay. Uh, Oh, yeah. I remember looking that up recently. 236 yards against (laughs) Baylor in 01 and Bowling Green in 02. She's Uh, absurd. Denario had 233 against Kansas in 2009. And then you got to go Lindsey Collins in in 1990 against Kansas. He had 229 yards. (sighs) Yeah. Denario is one. He is third, fifth, and seventh in single game receiving yards. Is that KU, K State, and Baylor? Those three games? It's KU, Baylor, and yep, K State. You yeah. got it. Yeah, those were three of the games where he had 10, 10 or more and 150 or more. And two of those games were very good, happy outcomes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, 100%. Um, it's, yeah. it's just interesting, man, because I, I also think that part of the conversation here is that you almost have a quarterback tax. Right. Mm-hmm. Where like yeah. for, for some of these guys, they're playing with, you know, Chase Daniel or Drew Locke or Blaine Gabbert. And this year, Dominic Lovett is not playing with those guys, yeah. He's playing with Brady Cook. Mm-hmm. And so it, it almost for me and I don't know if this is fair or not, but it's kind of the conversation. You know, it's all about the context of how and what they're doing it in is a he's doing it against an SEC schedule. And B, he's doing it with a quarterback in an offense that is more run heavy and a quarterback who is more limited than the guys that those other players played with. So if you put this version of Dominic Lovett into one of those offenses, man, I I would love to see what he'd be able to do. Man, yeah. 
I think he's he special, man. I, he's he's a like legit NFL talent right now. Like mm-hmm. I, I think Dominic Lovett will eventually be a top 100 pick in the NFL draft. That's he's awesome. that good, man. Well, he's got to come back next year. <laughs> but then after that, yeah, if you're right, go get paid, buddy. Go get paid. God, it's so nice to have a positive show. <laughs> Feeling good, man. I want to do beyond the box score. I want to have a smile on my face. Like, what is this? It's so good. Um, any final game thoughts? Not really, man. I think we kind of went through it. Like, I I think that my biggest takeaway from this game is just that is what Missouri looks like at its best in 2022. When you when you think about, hey, if Missouri if they reached their ceiling this year with this version of their team, this assembly of talent, this coaching staff, so on and so forth, what does it look like? I think that's it. They they played well defensively. They ran the ball effectively. They got exactly what they needed out of their quarterback, and Dominic Levitt was a stud. Mm-hmm. That's it. That, that's 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 Missouri. But like in a in a one game sample size. So that was my biggest takeaway from the game. It's just they they played their game and they beat the team that they needed to beat. And they deserve all of the credit for it. Guy, yeah. I, I don't want to hear anybody like tamping down on what that win means. No, 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 no. They, they beat a, a pretty good team on the road. And that is something that we've been critical of them not doing in the past. Mm-hmm. So when they do it. And they do it the way they did by beating them by multiple scores. And let's be honest, that game was never really in doubt. That's 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 worthy of getting excited about. Yeah. Speaking of that, Missouri's post game win expectancy, hundred percent. Wow, hundred percent. Only the second time that's happened this year. The first one was Louisiana Tech. So that tells you, that tells you how good they were. Um, of course, it is it is also October thirtieth, and tomorrow is October thirty first, which means tomorrow is Halloween. So we can't. Not ask the question, BK, of the Pantheon of Candy, what is your number one? I have to know. What is your number one candy? This isn't even a question. It's Reese's. By far, okay. there is no close number two. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's Reese's number one, and you can keep all the rest, number two. Wow. I like that. Anything else you would say is wrong. Like, you can have <laughs> the opinion. It will be the wrong opinion, but go ahead and have whatever opinion you'd like. Doesn't matter if it's pumpkin or standard. Uh, no, I don't okay. care. Okay, it's it's peanut butter and chocolate, and it's delightful. Yeah. No, good. Well, my favorite is fentanyl, so I hope I get some in my bag. Um, no, I would say, yeah, it's probably Reese's for me. Reese's one, and then just because to make it interesting, Snickers two, and then. Three Musketeers, three. Want to do? Okay, that's my top three. I, I'd put Twix in that mix. Twix oh, Twix! Oh, dang. Twix is a reassessing, game. reassessing. Two-way tie for third. Three Musketeers and Twix. There you go. Yeah. The good news is I'm going to get a ton of all of it because I got two kids trick or treating this time. So the winner is me. Uh, keep an eye on your kids. Hey, don't let them run in the street, man. Like you can, you can look at all you want about what's dangerous for kids. It's cars, man. This is the night that, uh, car deaths and accidents go way up. So please, please, please watch out for kids. If you're on the road, please, please, please hold onto their hands. If you are 
doing the trick-or-treating thing with the young ones, but I hope you have a great time. Hope you have a spooky time. Hope you dress up as Eli Drinkwitz. I don't know. I don't know what the kids like to dress up anymore, but that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Z-O-U.